Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 17, They're Freezing the Bodies. Why does he want to see me? asked Kerry. I have your instructions here, he said as he handed Kerry an envelope. Kerry tore open the melon-colored envelope and had to shut his left eye in order to read the message. Brian, Hawkins will drop you off at the executive entrance to the Tempora. Take the executive elevator. I'll be inside, George. The limousine whisked Kerry across the bridge connecting the city with the key. Hawkins sold the car and turned into the executive entrance. Guard at the gate opened it from an inside booth to the right and the limousine went around the back of the building. Thank you, Hawkins, for coming over and giving me this little joyride, said Kerry as he walked slowly toward the executive entrance. However, the vibration irritated his bruises. He was forced to a shuffle. He passed the tempora guard at the door who greeted him and walked him up to the elevator. Then he pushed the button to the door and the small elevator opened. Cigar smoke flowing into the lobby. Eaglehouse was inside. Hello, George. You're looking good, kid. 100% better. Never mind the platitudes, George. What's going on? He's what I've got, he said as he closed the doors to the elevator. Grzynski definitely threw at you. You have proof? Yeah, I have a 40,000 bucks proof. Who paid him off? Cogni, the CIA? Who knows? What I do know that Grzynski picked up the money in Central Park yesterday in New York City. He brought it to a man named Tony Gabrinelli, who deposited it in a Mexico City bank this morning. Jake just called me. I don't know any Gabrinelli. And all this is documented? Yes, sir. My men have a complete pictorial and audio record. We can nail Grzynski at any time. But who paid him off? I don't think it was the people that I know, George. Brian, we honestly don't know. They couldn't get a tap on Grzynski's phone. I still say we should send your man to London right now. Into the Cogni building. Impo impossible. I did some checking on that. Cogni has its regular security people at the main entrance. It's all electronically sealed. An underground garage that leads up from the street. Security men at the main entrance and at the underground entrance leading to the street. To top it off, there are close to a dozen men stationed outside the wreckage section on the 52nd floor. You tell me, Brian. With all that, plus the electronic systems, how do we get in there? Security expert, George. Somebody must know how to get inside. All right. Say they do. It means bloodshed, probably killing several people. That leads to the authorities, Brian. I think this is government. They'll squash us like ants. I'm leaning towards saying screw this whole thing. I don't believe it. What about Phillips? What about Darby O'Malley and this guy Phillips? Where the hell are they? I can't let this whole thing slide. I don't know that either, Brian, he said, scratching his face. I'm just a little hot under the collar. We're so limited in what we can do. I'm sending my boys to the uh, Walsh terminal tonight. See if we can find out anything over there. They get the goods and we can move. You said that about Krasinski. And we have them and we can't do anything. Look, George, I want those keys and the telegram. They're in my safe. Nobody's going to get to them. I have just as much right to know what the hell you're going to do, George. And if they get something tonight, Brian, who do we run to with that information? Who do we run to about the information about Grzynski? Unless we contact Levi Severin. That radical lawyer? He's a quack. I won't have it. The man's a demagogue. I have friends in high places. 
who would just as soon as see you go down the tube, George, and defy the government. Either Severin or the press, I tell you, that's where we need to go. He said as he counted on both his fingers. He said as he counted on his fingers. One, we must have unequivocal proof of wrongdoing. Two, we must create a mass sympathy in the press for it. If we don't do that, if we don't have that ground support, we can kiss our lives goodbye in the lives of Phillips and Darby O'Malley. Let's just wait and see what happens tonight. Jake Dorsey and Gil Surreal, dressed in black with black pullover stocking caps, emerged from the thickets around the Walsh Terminal. They crawled up to the corner of the high chain link fence. Jake looked over the top post. Infrared pulsed. Trigger inside, said Jake. What is it? Invisible beam, photo relay. Camera is scanning the area from the top of the building down there and over there. Right. When I cut this relay, we've got to get over the fence before our camera comes back on. Why don't we just cut through the fence? Asked Gil. Look down the post, whispered Jake. It runs the whole width of the fence at every post said taking out a vinyl case from under his jersey and he began to work with the relays. It took him nearly an hour till he had effectively cross-circuited each of the relays. They waited for all the cameras to be at be at optimum points and then they scaled the fence, Gil taking a little bit more time than Jake would have liked. They looked over into a long brick terminal illuminated brilliantly by the light atop several telephone poles in the yard. Come on behind the trucks, said Jake as they hid in the shadows. They had reasoned that the truck in question, if it were at this location, would never have been left outside. Jake looked over the terminal again. Getting across the well-lit parking lot was risky, even if they were out of camera range. But it had to be done. Where do we go across now? asked Gil. Okay, look, the front offices are over there. What we have to do is sprint over to that green door where the camera swings back. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm all set. Okay, let's go. Two men ran across the parking lot into the shadows by the green door as he came behind the quicker Jake, who was studying the alarm on the door. Ultrasonic, Gil. They've got elaborate security for a trucking criminal. Truck must be in there, he said as he took out his tools. This one will be easier. When Jake had deadened the door senses, he pushed a key-like device into the lock, picking it open. And then they were actually inside the offices. He shut the door and ran back inside the base. Inside, there were about 15 of the yellow trucks of a variety of sizes and lined up in front of the bay doors. They hurried over to the first truck, using it as a vantage point. Jake shook his head. Could be any one of them, he said, looking at Gil's eyes, bulging through the holes in the stocking cap. Maybe the entrance is hidden. Suddenly, the hanging lights overhead came on and they could hear footsteps in the rear of the terminal. They hurried to the rear of the large truck, pulling themselves out to the gate. Five men with white helmets and khaki uniforms marched down the length of the terminal with their rifles on their shoulders. Apparently they were making their usual rounds as they marched about 20 feet apart at a rather benign pace. They peered around the side of the truck as the soldiers converged at the end of a long thin storm drain in the middle of the concrete floor. They shined their flashlights around the drain in a routine manner, looked inside and then turned around and marched to the far end. The lights went out and the investigators looked at each other. That's it, they led us right to it. Smiled Jake, we were damn lucky. Let's go. Hold your weight. This is no luck, like following Carrie. We can walk right in there and get shot. That's not your usual drain over there. Look at it. Look at the seams in the cement. 
leading out from the corners. The whole cement portion is retractable. The time passed and they made their move, crawling on the concrete and up to the drain. It was a thin metal and they quickly turned it over without a sound. Jake crawled in and waited for Gil. The larger man lowered his bulbous body into the narrow storm drain, but unlike the slender Jake, he couldn't get through. Jake, I'm stuck, he whispered. I don't believe this, said the beleaguered Jake as he tugged on Gil's belt. The fat man was ringed through the opening, landing on his backside on a sloping floor below. Jake quickly lowered the drain cover back to its original position. They took off their stocking caps, sweating at the brow, shined a flashlight down the incline. The concrete floor extended at a gradual descent at first, but it soon became steep. They hurried down the ramp as it curved to the right and deep under the parking lot until they came to a wide, convoluted door. Jake went over to check out the security. He shined the flashlight around the perimeter of the door. Smells like a hospital around here, said Gil, sniffing the dank air. Does smell like a hospital, he said as he turned to Gil and once they were inside. Close that big door, Gil. I'm going inside the truck. Jake, look at this, said Gil, pointing to a red and black button which read, Ramp up, ramp down. I thought so. That current floor opens up. They easily opened the rear doors to the large yellow truck. This thing is loaded with furniture. I'm going to have to climb over it. I'll follow you, said Gil. Don't be funny, said Jake, remembering the storm drain. He climbed over the chairs, bookcases, and tables, moving about 20 feet into the 50-foot truck. However, it appeared as though he had reached the end of the truck, as a plywood wall hidden in the back of a massive furniture blocked his way. He shined the light around the wall. After searching for several minutes, he observed a small black button about the size of a penny located on the floor of the truck. He reached down, he reached down through the massive furniture, straining himself as he pushed the button. Up went the plywood wall, which was not plywood at all, as it curved around up to the ceiling. I think there's a room in there, Gil, he called as he stepped down off the furniture. He found a light switch and flipped it. Holy cripes, he whispered as his mouth hung open. The room inside this truck was over 30 feet long and half as wide, leading up to an area in back of the cab. It was paneled in white plastic with a translucent ceiling housing fluorescent lights above. If anything, it looked like a doctor's examining room with examining tables directly under the center of the room. Medical instruments were neatly assorted along the counters next to the outside walls. There were panels for temperature readouts, monitoring of internal organs, and what looked like an x-ray machine about halfway down the left wall. But in front was the most astonishing feature, a 10-foot glassed-in booth with the words, Azos protection, check internal external pressure at all times, in red letters high above. Jake was confounded as he began to poke around. He kept taking pictures of every conceivable square inch of the room. Finally, he rifled through the blue filing cabinets adjacent to the counters. The files were filled with computer readouts, which meant nothing to him until he opened the next drawer and pulled out several leather-bound books. The top one read in gold gothic letters, Azos preparation, the freezing of human beings, initial stages, barrels overview. He had hardly enough film to keep photographing all the books, but did not want to disturb anything by stealing the books. He used the remaining film to take shots of the covers, the first 20 pages of the book. Quickly, he put everything back in place, shut off the lights, and closed up the room. As he crawled over the stack of, before he crawled over the stack of furniture, he noticed a large cabinet with warning stickers on the outside 
virus contained inside. What the hell is that? Come on, Gil, let's go. He said, covering his eyes. I can't see a damn thing here anyways. Why is there a virus warning in here? Okay, come on, let's go. They closed up the doors to the truck. What have we got here, Gil? We've got a room in there for freezing human beings inside that truck. Another huge panel containing viruses. I think I got most of it on film. Let's get the hell out of here, he said, looking at his watch. It was almost four o'clock in the morning. He'd have to hurry. Sun will be coming up soon. I'm sure there's guys around here working all night. Jake reconnected the alarm systems in a short time in order to leave everything just as they had found it. He was right. There were trucks moving in and out down the other end of the building. They hurried up the incline and lifted the drain cover, with Gil going through sideways this time. Jake pulled him over onto the cement. They lowered the platform in place and then turned toward the offices. You two, halt! shouted one of the soldiers at the far end. A rifle shot rang out as the intruders dove behind the first truck. The other guards ran out from the back and more shots echoed around the spacious terminal. Quick and back, said Jake as he pushed Gill inside, jumping in behind him and starting the large truck. He put the truck in gear as a shot flew into the cab, hitting Gill on the shoulder. Oh, Are you okay? Asked Jake as he backed up the truck as both men ducked down. I'm alright, I'm alright, said Gill holding his shoulder. When he had gone back enough to get some momentum, Jake moved the gear stick lever and the first gear floored the accelerator. The truck sped across the width of the terminal. Men inside the terminal and the soldiers all turned toward the truck. One of the soldiers leaped on the running boards as the truck accelerated across the terminal. Gil thrust open the door just as the moving truck neared the closed bay doors. The truck crashed through the doors. The soldier was thrown to the right and bouncing and bounced off the brick wall. And then slid onto the concrete, and then slid onto the concrete floor. Jake kept the pedal to the floorboards, heading for the fence in the darkness. The truck easily topped the section of the fence. The truck easily toppled that section of the fence closest to the ground. He brought the truck around, steering toward the highway to the left. Are you sure you're all right, Gil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. First thing we do is park this truck and get a cab and get the hell out of here. Hello, George Beetlehouse. He answered as if he had been awake most of the long night. George, it's Jake Dorsey. We're in Melbourne. Listen carefully. They're freezing people, George. They're freezing those prisoners. That truck has all sorts of equipment and books. One called the freezing of human beings, Barrows Overview. Barrows? Sweet Jesus, man. Did you get pictures of this place? Hundreds. It's inside the Walsh truck. We have to get moving. Cabby is taking us right into Miami. We'll develop the film and fill you in in the morning. Those people inside the terminal are all after us. They chased us out of there, George. I told you guys to be careful. Get back here as soon as possible. Will do. We'll, we'll see you mid-morning. He said as he hung up the telephone. Jake's face dropped from bushes. Several men ran out with automatic weapons. Sprayed the phone booth with bullets. The two men dropped instantaneously and the gunfire ceased. As the cab driver began to pull away, they shot the tires out and then killed him. They searched the cab and the bodies of the dead men, taking all the equipment and the film. They backed away from the area with their weapons drawn and faded into the darkness of the park. Just before 10 o'clock, Hawkins drove Carrie to the executive entrance and Carrie moved inside. 
Brian, we have big problems, said Beetlehouse with a cigar in his mouth as he, as he shut the doors. What happened? My men called early this morning from Melbourne. They're supposed to be back here mid-morning. I haven't seen hide nor hair of them. Starting to get worried. Well, it's still early. What did they find out? They took a few hundred photographs and found a book by Jacqueline Burroughs. Jacqueline Burroughs? Come on, George. The suspense is killing me. What else did they find? Brian, I don't know the reason for this or how, but they're freezing those prisoners after they execute them, said Beetlehouse as the car slowed to a stop with a thud. That's ridiculous, exclaimed Carrie. It doesn't make any sense. Look, Jake Dorsey told me they just barely escaped the terminal. You know what that means. They're wise to us now, Brian. They know who was behind the break-in. We have to back off. Even get out of the country. They're not stupid. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.